Same pattern, Tiki Barber and Brian Dawkins level. That ball went out of here off the top of the wall. Chipper Jones just won the ball game. Hey, Dan Hicken and Denny Thompson with another Hometown Hero podcast brought to you by Lockett Law. Know before you blow. Appreciate Lee Lockett and all that he does. We had a special guest today. Denny, the one thing I like is that we've kind of delved into all different sports. Mm. And we're going tennis today. And we've got Mal Washington, who, while not from Jacksonville, is certainly... This is his hometown, and he is a he is a hero in many ways. But I want to talk to him about his life and what he's done and what he's been able to accomplish both on and off the court. Mal, how are you, friend? I am uh, living the dream every day. How are you guys doing, Dan? <laughs> We're and, doing, uh, Denny. You guys doing all right? We're doing great. Fantastic, We're doing man. great. I want to, I want to now uh, uh, help me out here, Mal. Let's start with this. You're a young kid. Uh, how do you become, or how does tennis become the sport of choice? Because uh, obviously it was big in the family because of your sister, also a professional tennis player as well. So uh, was that through the folks? How did that? How did that come about? And tell us a little bit about your youth, Mal. It was, Dan, I'll tell you, it was all about my parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was just an amateur player, just kind of picked up the game of tennis the way I picked up golf years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he'd play some, you know, local city tournaments in uh, in the Michigan area, in the Flint, Michigan area. And uh, as if you listen to him tell the story, he got tired of his buddies just not showing up when they were supposed to show up and play. (laughs) And he he started bringing us out onto the court. And uh, he literally, back then, it was wooden rackets. He literally sawed off the handle on a wooden racket to wow. make it smaller for me and my older sister at the time. And uh, and he would bring us out on the court and just start tossing, tossing us the ball. I mean, he had no formal training in, in tennis, but he just uh, that just became a family thing. And you had mentioned my older, my, you know, my sister who played on tour. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is, and a lot of people don't know, I had an older sister that played on the tour in the 80s. My little sister who played on the tour and uh, in the 90s and 2000s, and mm-hmm. then there was me um, in there. And then I also had a brother who played on the tour wow. in the 90s. So there were actually four of us wow. who played on the professional tour and got a and got a world ranking. That's pretty impressive. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I guess Dad was a good coach too. Then <laughs> Dad, uh, Dad tortured us. <laughs> so Dad, Dad was. Dad was uh, Dad was a good coach. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any other people that have, you know, four kids out on the pro tour at right. some point in their, in their coaching career. So in that regard, he was a good coach, but you know, it's, it's kind of like any other coach and a pupil, some pupils respond and other people, <laughs> pupils don't respond as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, he was, he was hard driving and he is the one that gave me kind of my work ethic that I have today. Mm-hmm. And I was able to respond to that and re- respond very well. But, but one of the funny stories is, is, is uh, in my family, including I have a sibling who did not play on the pro tour, who played tennis. Everyone in my family won the Flint Junior Open. It's this tiny little tournament That's in awesome. Flint, Michigan. Everyone won it except me. 
<laughs> wow. I never won the tournament. What happened? Did you blow? And, a, and did so, you blow a finals against another kid, or what? What, what happened? Yeah, against well, his sister. The <laughs> you know, there, there were there were times where we would have these tournaments, and maybe it wouldn't be that great competition. And my dad would say, "No, nah, no, nah, you, you know, you don't need to play that tournament. You're, you know, <laughs> we we need to practice." And he literally wouldn't let me play the tournament and win the tournament. Uh-huh. But so I have Wimbledon bragging rights, and then like my yes. other brothers and sisters are like, "Yeah, but you never won the Flint Junior Open." <laughs> I mean, when you think of Flint, Michigan, you think tennis powerhouse. I mean, you think tennis <laughs> yeah. breeding grounds. That never one hundred percent. Hey, let's go there for a second, you, though, Mal, because I, mm-hmm. I'm very interested we've had baseball guys on and i train uh quarterbacks um in the job that actually pays me um (laughs) and so i'm always interested in the developmental process and we talk about this with baseball guys and about the youth training process and tennis seems to be Mm -hmm. one i guess every sport there's thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in but tennis is so technical um how does one begin that process your dad walked you through it but nowadays how 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 do kids get involved uh, in tennis, is it familiar? Is it similar to golf in that you just expose them, and if, if there's an interest in athleticism or a an ability, they 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 find somebody to work with, or how does that work now? You know, you know, for, for a large degree or to a large degree, tennis is still one of those sports where you can have access to the sport, but to develop and become, you know, a quality junior player who has the potential to move on and play college and beyond, you have to get, you know, fairly specialized at a young age and have access to to that coaching. Okay. I can, you know, any of us on this call right now, we could introduce a five or six year old to the sport of tennis and teach him a couple of things. Mm -hmm. um, And that's fine. You don't need this great coach at six years old, but as they start advancing, you really need that, that technical training to keep your strokes on track. And a lot of times, I mean, you, you take the kids in my youth foundation or, or just kids in any, in any city, you can expose them to it, but where are the funds going to come from to start playing tournaments, to start playing coaches, mm-hmm. to start, you know, going to these training camps. And that's what kind of handcuffs a lot of people is kind of the, the money aspect of it. I, I take football or, um, you know, maybe basketball, you can have a park with a hoop and a ball and mm-hmm. you can get five guys or five girls out there. You, you can just start hooping. You can right. just start throwing the football. You can get out on a field and start running some routes and, you know, playing football. Um, and if you're athletic, at some point, some coach is going to see that and say, hey, I, I need you you on my team. And it's not quite like that, uh, like that with tennis. So, I mean, I, I think it's great to expose kids to the sport, but there has to be another level to, to excel at a, at a high level. And the, and the thing about it, you can have everything in place, let's say financially and the backing and the travel and the tournaments, and you might peter out when you're 17 years old. Right. Or maybe you go to college or you might peter out in college. There's no guarantee that there's going to be huge success just because you have all the pieces in place. We are visiting with Mal Washington. He's the subject of our Hometown Hero podcast today, brought to you by Lockett Law. No, before you blow. Mal, uh, why you didn't win the Flint Juniors, you must have done some <laughs> other good things because you ended up going to uh, uh, University of Michigan and uh, had, a, had a wonderful – talk a little bit about your time at Michigan, what were you able to accomplish, and when did you start to think uh, uh, or, or when did Dad tell you you're going to be a professional tennis player, young man? <laughs> you, you know, it was one of those things um, – 
the seed of professional tennis was was planted in me when I went to the U.S. Open with my dad okay. and my older sister and my mom. And we literally sat up in the nosebleed section mm-hmm. of the 17,000 seat Louis Armstrong Stadium and we're looking down on the court. And, and my, you know, my dad literally said, he's like, you can play on that court one day. And I remember like, like wow. I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You can literally play on that. His, his comment was, you can be a champ or a chump. That was his thing. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, That's a coach, Danny. is 11. <laughs> <laughs> 11 years later, mm-hmm. I was walking onto that court and kind of looked up as a player and I thought, holy crap, I, my dad said this like 11 yeah. years ago that yeah. I could walk onto this court. So that was when the when the seed was first planted in me that maybe I could be a pro tennis player. But at 10, 12 years old, you don't know if it's actually going to happen. Sure. You know, it's a it's a dream because you're you're a kid. And then I had a good junior career, got recruited to the University of Michigan, which um, which was probably the single biggest decision I made in my early tennis career accepted the scholarship to the University of Michigan, a full scholarship, and I was there for two years. I had a really good freshman year mm-hmm. um, and had a even better sophomore year, and that's where you know it really started to click. Okay, maybe I can go to the next level because some of the players that I played with in juniors who opted out of college, mm-hmm. Agassi, Sampras, Curry, or Chang, that group – they're on the tour, and I'm sitting here watching them, and I'm my freshman year of college, and I'm like, okay, I beat that guy like a year and a half ago, right? and he's now 50 in the world. So the seeing those guys out there on the tour while I'm kind of toiling away in college and then toiling away in the minor leagues of tennis really pushed me and drove me. So I left Michigan after my, uh, after my sophomore year against the advice of my college coach. <laughs> um, but uh, – and, and, and I felt kind of bad because I kind of jacked him because I really, I really waited and waited and waited to right. make that decision. Um, when you, because that's a huge decision. Sure it is. The big decision was going to Michigan. The next big, big decision was leaving, you know, arguably one of the greatest institutions in the country on a full scholarship, leaving all of that to pursue you know, a dream at 20 years old. So it was the right decision for me. You know, it, it stunk for, for coach. Cause I put him in a bind. Um, Cause you know, you're out there recruiting is like, Oh yeah, we got the facility and Mount Washington is coming back. And then all of a sudden Mount Washington doesn't come back. <laughs> so uh, it, it hurt the team a little bit, but uh, for me personally, it was the right decision to right. turn pro after my sophomore year. I'm curious, Mal, talk, talk to us about the kind of the culture on tour from the essence of like, we've all been in locker rooms. We've all, we, you know, grew up in sports, all that kind of stuff, but this is an individual sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are traveling from city to city and <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure that each city responds to tennis in a different way. Uh, there's different support, all that kind of stuff. Are there certain tournaments that we don't know about? You know, the, the big ones that are just unbelievable competition, unbelievable facilities, unbelievable atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. Or, or is it, are they all pretty much, you know, status quo? No, no. You you have you have the four majors, which uh, everyone sees on TV. We just uh, you know in, in a couple of weeks we're going to have uh, the U.S. Open. We just finished Wimbledon. Those those are the tournaments that everyone knows about. And then on the men's tour, you know, there's the 1,000 level tournaments. There's nine of them around the world. The, you know, arguably the biggest one is. Um, there's one in Indian Wells, California, but there's there's Monte Carlo, and and there's these tr- these amazing events that uh, you you may not even be aware of. You may see it on TV, you may not, and, and the players love playing those events, and so so much 
in sports today, it's, it's that fan experience. What can we do in our event to make the player experience great, the fan experience great, to get as much attention on our, our event? We see that with the Jaguars. We see that with college programs. And certainly in tennis, that's the case. But, you know, as a tennis player, you're, you're focused on those big events on the ATP Tour, but then above that, you're focused on those uh, on those four majors. That that's where you you want to excel, and, and all of the events are great. I, I would never pick. Oh, this is the one event you have to go to. There are so many uh, great events uh, around the world on the men's and women's tour uh, that that are tremendous that the players just love to go to year after year. For the record, sign me up for Monte Carlo. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, my, my, that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm so bummed out because uh, <laughs> I, I never played Monte Carlo. Oh, um, it was a big event, right? And I always opted to stay in the United States and play mm-hmm. the clay court tournaments in the U.S. leading into Roland Garros. Okay, and I, I just didn't want to be in Europe by the end of Wimbledon. Um, I didn't want to be in Europe for two and a half straight months. Okay, so I would opt to uh, cut my Europe trip short by staying in the U.S. and playing on the green clay here. And it worked for me. And looking back on it, I kind of wish I had taken a few years to, to play Monte Carlo because it's, it's just a great event. It's one of the great events on the men's tour. I want to talk about the uh, the Wimbledon finals in just a minute, but talk a little bit about your climb once you turned pro, Mal. Uh, do you remember, for example, by any chance, your first paycheck for your earnings yeah. for a tournament and what, how much that was and where that was. Do you, do you have that recollection? Then talk about the guys who you mentioned and the guys you started to play against as you started to move up in the world rankings. My first tournament as a pro in the fall of 1989 was mm-hmm. in Orlando. Okay. And they had an ATP event there. And I had to go through the qualifying. So I had to win two matches to get into the tournament. And then I lost first round. Okay. And then I got a wild card, as I recall, into the doubles. And we lost first round. And my first check was like $3,330. Okay. Like that. Okay. And I thought, this is my first tournament coming out of college right. as a pro. Right. I thought I had hit the mother load. <laughs> I was like, are you... I was like, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me I, I win a couple of matches in yeah. qualities, lose first round in singles and doubles, and I get 3330 bucks. Yeah. What's going to happen like, when I win a couple? <laughs> I, I, I would have played, played for free, and they actually paid me. And, and, I, and I remember I remember, I had, I lost first round. I had the biggest smile on my face because I had never seen a check that big before. Sure. This was you know, back in the late 80s, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I can do this. I, I'm going <laughs> to see how long I can stay out here on tour. This is pretty sweet. Well, so, I'm curious, what's the money like now? Like, like for that, take that same uh, scenario that you just gave us. What, what is that get? check? Who knows? Now? Yeah. Well, well, let me um, let me give you an example, and I, and I don't know the, the number for sure, sure. but um, if you the the U.S. Open coming up right. um, in New York, when I my first year as a pro, um, to lose first round was five thousand dollars. Lose first round at this year's U.S. Open, give or take. Uh, sixty thousand, seventy-five thousand, something like that. It's somewhere in that range, uh-huh. and then the you know to win it is and and anyone listening can fact check me. Yeah, but um, to win it is a couple million. Yeah, um, whereas back when I first turned pro, it might have been you know a couple hundred thousand mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to win it. So the the money has gone up exponentially. Mm-hmm. It was huge in the nineties. 
compared to the you know the generation before me in the 80s we thought we were living large because of the, the prize money was escalating so fast but it's just continued to escalate over the last uh over the last 20 years and uh i don't but we see that in all sports sure i mean sure. you look at some of the signing bonuses and um you look at you know basketball football baseball and the contracts that are being signed you i mean you're just you kind of feel like okay it's got to slow down at some point but it, it just never seems to slow down mal of all those guys that you mentioned that you grew up playing with the agassiz and the sampresses and jimmy courier and by the way, obviously, after you guys have done playing, you, you've become or you are you remain friends. But I'm curious, like, who did you was there one you were more close to than others? Was there one I, I would guess? I don't know this, but Sampras always seems sort of aloof, you know, to me. And I, I just wonder where you fit in with with those guys in terms of. Yeah. You, you know, it was uh, you, you had mentioned what the locker room is like. It's mm-hmm. not like a team sport where I would imagine you know, there's a lot of camaraderie. Right. In, in tennis. It's a little different because you are competing for yourself against, you know, maybe the guy right next to you in the locker room. So it's a little different kind of camaraderie. I seem to gravitate to some of the guys that I actually played college tennis with. That Mm -hmm. was one thing we had in common. And, you know, a lot of us left college at the same time and were out there struggling at the same time. But but uh, you'll like this. One of one of my best friends out on tour is the current men's head tennis coach at University of Florida, Brian Shelton. He worked with you somewhere along the line, right? He he was my coach for a while. We competed against each other. We played doubles together. And, uh, you know, and here's an interesting fact. He is the only coach in in college tennis to win a national championship in the men's and women's. He did it with Georgia Tech women in this past year with uh, the men at Florida. They rave about him down in Gainesville, by the way. And the other thing I've heard is that he's a hell of a golfer, uh, that he's very, they see him down at the golf course. But uh, I've only heard great things. And what a neat story for him, because I think his son was was on the team and won the the final match yeah. or, or to win the natty so for them <laughs> oh that's cool yeah it is it, it's it's a, literally it's the kind of story that mm-hmm. you do like a 30 30 on okay cool um i mean he he had a great career mm-hmm. on on the men's professional tour mm-hmm. okay he had then he goes to georgia tech and wins a national title there rarely do coaches actually transition from coaching women to men or men to women. Right. They usually just stay on one side. And then he goes there and have his son be on the team, which, I mean, there's a whole different dynamic there, just coaching your own son. That is a, that is a huge challenge. I mean, I have an 18 year old son. I know. Um, but the fact that his son played on the team um, on that national championship team, won the, the final point, to to win the national title it's yeah. special and and the thing is and here's here's the cool thing about it i'd be willing to bet every single college coach in america was pulling for him because he's such a good dude that's what i hear awesome. yeah. denny you'll love this story uh uh mal's son grew up sort of playing lacrosse mal is that correct he was like a lacrosse star and he played one year of high school football at ponte Vedra. And he's playing college football yeah. at Richmond. Oh wow! Yeah, how about that? That's I an mean, athlete. Yeah. That's an he, athlete. <laughs> he, he, he um, we were actually traveling around uh, colleges, University of Michigan, and, and a few other schools, thinking, okay, where is he going to go to college to play lacrosse? Mm-hmm. I went to Amherst College, a D three school up in the Northeast, and a few others, mm-hmm. and then 
there came a point towards the end of his junior year, you could tell he wasn't loving it anymore. And, you know, I think some of the coaches at Ponte Vedra kind of put a bug in his ear. Oh, man, you're such a great athlete. You should come out and hey, come out and train with us. So he and a bunch of his buddies were on the football team mm-hmm. at, um, at Ponte Vedra. So, you know, he, he goes out and, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how long is this going to last? <laughs> but he excelled. We are, we are so blessed to have Mal making his home here in Jacksonville. I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. They're, Mal Washington's had an unbelievable tennis career. You've heard some of the stories. I mean, the guy f- grew to the top 10 in the world. He went to the Wimbledon finals. I mean, just unbelievable professional tennis player. But much like, I think, Tom Coughlin, mm-hmm. Mal's greatest legacy is off the court. Yep. And this is what he – and he started this this youth foundation that I would encourage – anyone listening to go check out in Jacksonville because, you know, the immediate thought is, I oh, put a tennis court and they play a little tennis over there with the kids. And it's nothing like that at all. That's a part of it, but it's a small part of it. It is. And we've been, he's been doing it for so long now uh, uh, with his staff that we are able to watch children literally go through his youth foundation and go off to college and come back and get jobs in Jacksonville. And I'm telling you, without the youth foundation, they might not have been able to do that. They, I like to say this, they don't play over there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go into that program, uh, you work as a, as a youngster and learn. And uh, it's just, I'm telling you, if you haven't had a chance, go check it out because it is, it is uh, unbelievable what you've been able to accomplish, Mal, with your staff down there. And I, I always tip my cap to you because of all the wonderful things you do. But I'm telling you, that will be your that will be your greatest legacy, Mal, and how you've impacted uh, Jacksonville and, quite frankly, the world. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, Dan. That's uh, that's very kind of you, and mm-hmm. I appreciate you being a part of it and your family being a part of the foundation, um, volunteering at the foundation. Um, we this, we're in our 25th year, and yeah. all we're trying to do is impact a group of kids. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of selfishly say it's part it's part of my therapy because when you lose in the finals of Wimbledon, that kind of sucks. <laughs> and so you you go to the foundation, and you can you can just clear your mind a little bit and say, okay, there's things bigger than Wimbledon. So, um, to me that is where the greatest investment in any community should always be in the community. Um, it should always be with kids because they, they are the future. They are our future, um, our business owners, our future teachers, our, our future athletes and police officers and politicians, you name it. It's the kids. So when we invest in, in young people, um, I feel like that is the best way to spend a dollar in the community. Mm-hmm. So that's such good stuff, man. I'm, yeah. I'm listening and like, I just want to, uh, Mal, I'm going to ask you on air so you can't say no. Is it all right if, if it gives me your phone number? Because I'd love to sit down and visit with you about this because I'm so intrigued by um, the way you just kind of laid that out of, of and it, especially with what Hicken said, is is it's a foundation and kids are coming out there, but they're working. Oh, yeah. Like they're working. It's not like a, hey, drop your kid off daycare no, foundation, no, no, no. youth yeah. football camp type deal. Yeah. This is a developmental program that 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 you're you're bringing forward here yeah hey hey dan don't give him my number (laughs) dang it it didn't work (laughs) no worries what just just because we're on air you you don't think i'll I'll say that well i I thought the odds would be better my bad (laughs) mouth no but but 
But Denny, you know, one of the things, uh, and, I, and I'd love to show you what we're doing and introduce you to our programs. And, and that, that's one of the, um, you know, people always ask me kind of what's my role with the foundation. Now, years and years ago when we started, I loved coming from Europe or Australia and literally kids would watch me play on TV. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, I'm here in Jacksonville doing something with them on the tennis court. And my role over the years has changed because now, I mean, we're, we're a business. We are an organization. We're a nonprofit organization. And so much uh, of our success is about getting volunteers and um, raising funds. I mean, we're, it's a 365 day a year fundraiser mm-hmm. uh, because we're we have to fund the program, which is exhausting. Running, but <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's uh, and and I'm not and I'm not staff. Um, you know, I I, I kind of joke about it, but I was like, I, I would never want to be a staff member at my own foundation <laughs> because I see. I see where the rubber hits the road and, and the challenges, the daily challenges our staff has um, just just with with families, with kids, with with COVID. I mean, sure. You talk about a challenging 18 months trying to run a program with COVID and trying to keep everyone safe, because it's not just like I'm sending my kids somewhere and I, I'm, I'm concerned about two kids being safe. Mm-hmm. We're concerned about over 200 kids safe. Right. And when they're at the foundation, they're in our care. So there is a lot of pressure there. So I give all the credit to uh, to our full-time staff who is there every single day where the rubber hits the road. Um, but me, you know, my my job now is getting the word out about what we're doing. Right. Everyone has heard of the Boys and Girls Club, another great organization. Mm-hmm. Most people, if you if you cross someone today, most people have not heard of the Mount Washington Youth Foundation, even though we've been here for 25 years. Yeah, and- so, Denny, yes, I would love to, <laughs> to introduce you to what we're doing and uh, – take you on a tour of our youth center. And, and I do that a lot. I take people around to our youth center mm-hmm. just to, just so they can see the neighborhood and figure out a way they can get involved. And it's real, man. I mean, I'm telling you, there are, and, and, and just, you know, I'm on the outside looking in, but have been around Mal enough to know uh, there are heartbreaking stories in there. They, they live in the, it's the real world. And, yeah. and as many, they have these wonderful success stories and, but they continue to fight and work and make a difference in so many kids' lives. So for that, we applaud you, well, Mal. Go ahead. I, I, I do appreciate that. And, I, yeah. and I'll, I'll finish with this on, yes. the, on the foundation because both of you have said some very nice things about mm-hmm. the foundation, but um, having traveled around as much as I have, I, I've seen a lot and I come back here to the United States and I come back here to Florida. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a crime that any kid should ever feel like I can't go to college or I can't succeed right. or, or I can't excel because there, there are places around the world where let's say for a young girl, mm-hmm. you know what, your place is not in education or in sports, your place is here. And this is where you're going to stay. Right. So when I come back here, I'm like, Regardless of the zip code you live in, mm-hmm. and regardless of your your challenges, man, you have a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And use the foundation as your springboard. And we'll bend over backwards to help help kids out as long as they're doing their part. And uh, fortunately, it's been working for twenty five years. It's a lock at law. Hometown Hero Podcast. We thank you so much, Mal Washington, for spending some time. We could spend all day literally talking with you. Uh, Great stories, uh, great reminiscing, and uh, thank you so much for enlightening us as well about the foundation. We appreciate you, man. I really appreciate both of you having me on. Appreciate you guys. Take care, Dan, Danny. All the best.